We, uh, we continue getting emotional this summer. Uh, we're going to talk about emotions, maybe so we're less emotional when we leave the summer. Emotions, we, uh, we, we said a couple weeks ago, emotions, this word emotions, has only been around a couple hundred years. Uh, the concept, though, is, uh, is, is one that is ancient. There is, a, uh, there is a list of emotions that were actually artistically rendered out. You have that, fir- that first photo, Melva? Uh, this is from the 1500s. It, uh, it says down at the bottom, uh, the external signs of the passions, because passions was the, uh, was the description. So you'll actually find the face of one of your spouse, uh, uh, you know, one of the faces that your spouse makes on this list right here in front of you. Maybe the, uh, maybe the cranky face, maybe the I can't believe you said that face, uh, maybe the um, you want what for dinner face, um, maybe the why won't you ever pick out where we're going to go face for dinner. Um, these are these are sixteen of the emotions uh, that uh, that were captured, but uh, but 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 more up to date than that is this this uh, this newer list. Robert Plutchik, a uh, a medical psychologist uh, that that, uh, that that taught in medical school, uh, he converted the, the these old lists and he placed these ideas of emotions onto what's known as Plutchik's wheel of emotions. And, uh, and in that first full circle outside of the little pie pieces in the middle, we find the eight emotions that we are, uh, we are preaching through this summer. The, the purpose is this, is that, is that God has made us. God has made us and planted within us these, uh, th- this freedom to react. What we want, though, is for our reactions and our actions to not be the things that drive us, but instead for us to be more in control of who we are and how we present ourselves to the world. And, and today, we talk about one of the emotions that we all do, but we don't talk about much. It's actually the emotion of anticipation. The emotion of anticipation. The Bible, the Bible says this, uh, Proverbs thirteen twelve. Hope delayed makes the heart sick. Longing fulfilled is a tree of life. There is is a choice that we make in how we anticipate. Because the truth is, waiting is a part of life. Everybody does it. Waiting is a part of life. Waiting. But how we wait... And, 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 and the choice we make in, in what we do with our waiting, well, that, that really, that's really the measure of a life lived well or a life lived otherwise. How do we wait? How, how do we wait? Julie and I uh, had the chance uh, this, this past week to, uh, to slip out of town, literally slipped out of the 11 o'clock service and and uh, last week, and went across the street and grabbed our bags and went and stood in line waiting for uh, airport security in Atlanta before boarding a plane uh, to go just up the street to uh, Seattle, Washington. We, uh, we had the chance to go to Seattle this week and uh, had a great time up there and, 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 and came back uh, a couple of days ago. Had the chance to go with, uh, with some of our friends that I, that I referred to. Jay and Amanda live in South Dakota where 
where, uh, where he flies for the Air Force, and she's a uh, pharmacist. They have two little boys, but we all left our boys at home. We had been to their house before and spent some time in South Dakota. They said, how about we, uh, how about we go somewhere new? And so we went to Seattle because they had not been, and, uh, and Julie hadn't been, and I'd only spent a few hours there. And so we flew into Seattle, and we spent a few days, and it was great. Uh, we had the chance on Tuesday... To, uh, to, to get a car and to go down and, out and, and across and out of the city of Seattle, out to uh, Mount Rainier National Forest. Fabulous, fabulous. It was uh, uh, just, it's, it's an amazing, amazing place. We had, we, had, we had packed and we had shopped and we had prepared and we had, we had sandwiches for when we were done. I mean, we were really gung-ho. And, uh, and we get there and at the gate entering the National Forest, the ranger with a uniform on um, thanks Jay for his service, but mentions, by the way, uh, you can't hike on the trail you want to hike on. And we were like, okay, well, well, why is that? They said, well, it's covered in 10 feet of snow. And we were like, no, you're going to have to update your reason because it's the middle of June. And they were like, no, really, 10 feet of snow. And uh, we were like, wow, what do you do with that? 10 feet of snow in the middle of June. Uh, what kind of place is this? Because uh, we had just gotten on a plane two days earlier, and it was like 91 degrees in Bonaire, Georgia. I don't know what to do with 10 feet of snow. But so we adjust, and we, we make our way uh, in, into, the, uh, into the giant park, and uh, we find a space, and uh, we get out of the car, and we, we're, we're stretching. Well, at least Julie and I are stretching and, you know, getting ready. And, uh, and I actually snapped a picture. You got that? I snapped a picture of us. Uh, this is me lagging behind. With, uh, with Julie and Amanda and Jay, and we're, uh, and we're headed out. Uh, this, is, uh, the, 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 this is right at the end of the paved parking lot area under the trees, and we, and we start hiking, uh, and, and, and we, go, we go an hour. We go an hour under the cover of the biggest trees outside of maybe California that I'd ever seen. At one point, I thought they were uh, redwoods because they were that big, but, uh, but I went and read, and they, uh, they instead were hemlocks called giant hemlocks, and there were some firs there, and then there were some cedars. And, and, I, and I, I tell you that if three, three grown men had put their arms out, they wouldn't reach around the trees that we were walking underneath. Fabulous. This canopy over our heads, and we're walking for an hour for an hour, and but what Julie and I are both thinking, you know, with that, that mental telepathy that, uh, that people who are close to each other have, we're, what we're thinking is, next time we go out of town with some friends of ours, we want them to be much older than us. <clears throat> much, much older than us. Uh, Jay and Amanda were in our youth group uh, 15 years ago, and so they're out, and they're like running up ahead, and we're like, yeah, this is great, and <clears throat> an hour in, an hour of hiking, it's all uphill along this, along this trail, and there's the steep edge over us uh, with, with the trees all around us, and then, and then water rushing down the side of us. And it was beautiful, but, but an hour in, waiting to see what we had come to see, and then we, and then we, and then we round the corner, and just around the corner, we finally get a glimpse of it. You got that photo? This is uh, this is the this is the four of us, with uh, with Mount Rainier in the background. This river underneath, 
just this this area of just like massive wipeout where where all these giant full-size trees and boulders are there when the snows when the snows melt and the and the rain rushes down we waited an hour we waited an hour to, to see what we had gone to see but it was an hour of movement and an hour of work I like, I like the way that Charles Stanley describes anticipating and waiting as he understands it in the Scriptures. He says, Throughout the Bible, we find three admonitions given to us about waiting and anticipating the Lord's return. And this is what they are. That, that as believers, we are to watch faithfully. We are to work diligently and we are to wait peacefully now i love this i love this because because it captures the truth that in fact waiting and anticipating in the scriptures is both active and passive it says it says that we're to watch but also work while we wait active and passive it says it says we're to work but we're also to be at peace i mean this is this is about when when we spend an hour of work to get just to the edge to get a glimpse for the first time of the thing that we've been waiting to see it's it's active and it's passive anticipating and waiting Makes me think of uh, of something I learned a long time ago. Many of you know I uh, I, I had the chance to, to 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 work as a college basketball coach, and I studied basketball really before I went off to seminary to study uh, pastoral leadership and uh, and 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 and, uh, and the Bible and church. What I did in that in that first part of life was uh, I tried to learn from all the people I could learn from, and one of the people I had the chance to not only learn from but to, to spend time with is uh, the one I believe to be the greatest basketball coach, maybe the greatest coach of, of, of any sport, uh, Coach John Wooden, who had, been, uh, who had been the coach at the University of California in Los Angeles, UCLA, and won 10 national championships when he was there. He was a writer and, uh, and, and still a speaker, and I had the chance to, to fly out and spend four hours in his home with him. And one of the things that he taught me there, and one of the things that I've read before and after I was with him is this, and it's, and it's fascinating, and I offer it to you. He said, he said, Scott, if you want to really learn the game of basketball, if you want to learn how to watch the game of basketball well, stop watching what the guy with the ball is doing. But instead, pay attention to the other four people on the team because what he was what he what he's saying is one guy has the ball but it's the other four people who are anticipating what they will do when they get the ball that you need to pay attention to i mean i I think i think it's applicable to life most of us, most of the time, don't have the ball in our hands. Most of us, most of the time, aren't 
in the midst of doing the thing that we want to be doing, most of us, most of the time, are doing what? We're waiting and anticipating for the next thing, for the next time, for, for it to bounce our way. We're realizing that, that, that if we want to get open for the right next thing to happen, we, we've got to cut just this way and we've got to come back just this way. This is, this is how sport speaks to life. What do we do with our waiting and our anticipating? How can we wait well instead of wasting it? Maybe, maybe, maybe we ask, how can we anticipate in a way that our eyes are lifted up instead of focused only down? See, I, 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 think, I think the choice is ours. And how we choose matters. It was uh, Father Richard Rohr who wrote, really a warning, every unrealistic expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. Every unrealistic expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. For just a second, let me flip that around. Get, get inside your heart real quick. When was the last time you resented something? When was the last time you resented something? And how true is the statement that your resentment over something not happening the way you wanted it to is because of a previous expectation? Because when we anticipate, when we set ourselves up the wrong way, it leads us downward and not upward. But, but William James, writing a hundred years ago, spoke this truth. Now, now think, a hundred years ago of the massive scientific and technological uh, discoveries that are being made around the world. I mean, you've got Edison, Edison and Einstein, right? A hundred years ago, this is what William James writes. The greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitudes. I mean, think about it. How true is that? That we have the power to change the direction of our life. How are we, how are we anticipating? What are we doing with our waiting? I want, to, I, want to close. I want to close with a couple of illustrations, actually, of course, from the Scriptures. And, and, and knocking around, trying to figure out what the, what the Bible would have us to hear around anticipating. I, I, I did a word search. And there, there in front of me for the first time, I see these two men who bookend the gospel story of Jesus 
in such a way, but they have this thing in common. The first, is a, the first is a story that I've told now two or three times at least, uh, and you'll recognize it quickly. It comes to us from Luke chapter 2. It says, uh, it says the, 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 the precursor to the story is that, that Jesus, just a few days old, is carried by Mary and Joseph into the temple that they might, that they might carry out and fulfill the Jewish tradition uh, both, both for the mother and for the child. And it says that there in the temple, first, first they're greeted by, uh, by Anna, who is this woman that scoops the child up and begins to say these amazing things about what will happen. But it also says there was this man there. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. It says he was righteous and devout and that he eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. We, we, we get this sense that, uh, that these characters that are greeting the, the infant Jesus are advanced in years. But we're told that they have spent their time waiting and anticipating for what God will do next. How are we known? How do we wait? And then at the end, what is the, what is the back bookend of the life of Jesus and His, his exit from this earthly life? He says, after that He was crucified, after he was crucified and, and the centurion is witnessing what's going on in Luke chapter 23 and the sun stops in the sky and the curtain of the, of the, of, of the sanctuary temple is torn in the middle. It says, it says, now there was a man named Joseph who was a member of the council. He was a good and righteous man. In fact, he hadn't agreed with the plan and actions of the council. He said he was from the Jewish city of Arimathea and what does it say? that he eagerly anticipated God's kingdom. Let it not be lost on us that at the beginning and at the end of Jesus' life, there are these men who are 2,000 years later being remembered as those whose anticipation for what God will do next is still revered. See, how we wait, how we wait is to be active and passive. Literally, we are to be working and at peace. When people look at you, and you're telling them that you haven't gotten what you need, and you haven't gotten what you want, and, and they can see it, and they can hear it, and they know it, because they know you. Do they see peace 
as you wait? Or something else? Because even how we wait and anticipate the next thing matters. Let's pray.